No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. This is Banal of America Audio Season 8 Live, coming at you about five minutes late, so we got no <laughs> no proper start time either. I've always wondered what happens when you go past the the start time of the live show. Apparently, it just waits for you, which is a good thing to know. But anyway, we've got a really awesome program lined up for you folks, our guest on this edition of the show, appeared way back on BOA Audio Season 1, which is a stunning eight years ago. I actually looked it up today. Uh, We posted her program. I I couldn't figure out the exact date we taped the show, but we posted it on January 21st, 2006, which is absolutely insane. That's almost eight and a half years ago. Uh, (laughs) Just way, 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 way too long. She's a pioneering research... uh, Excuse me. She's a pioneering researcher of the my lab phenomenon the military abduction phenomenon that's what we talked about wow eight years ago i can't believe it's been so long and uh she's done some amazing stuff since she's had a a tremendous career as a researcher and investigator in the field of ufology for over 25 years what i found out recently is that she has over 33 years of experience as a professional psychic as well and a teacher of psychic development so we're going to get into that as well because i'm really uh very fascinated by that. And as I said, I didn't even know that originally when we first met. And and before I bring her on the program, well, let me, let me say hello first, uh, then I'll keep rambling. Uh, welcome back to the show, Melinda. It has been far, far too long, folks. Talking about Melinda Leslie, as I said, pioneering researcher of the MyLab phenomenon. Welcome back, my friend. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> you moved. You moved. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Good excuse. Good excuse. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm glad to be back. Thank you. I have. No, believe me. I, I, I did reach out a few times, and uh, I, I think, I swear to God, I think I had your old phone number because I, uh, I could never get a hold of you, but it all it all worked out again recently, so it's all good. Now well, you they, found me because I was on this, uh, you know, little uh, radio program you're also associated, associated with, and... I think that's how you found me. No, no, no. <laughs> to my credit, check your Facebook messages. I actually uh, I messaged you back in September. I never heard back, though, Melinda. So. Oh, 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 oh sorry. Okay. <laughs> it's all good, though. <laughs> uh, a little in-house baseball on the show here at the beginning. Um, but what, what I wanted to say is, uh, you know, uh, I first met you in 2004, I think, at the X Conference in D.C., and uh, I was just – I was really – 
a newcomer to all this and didn't know anybody or anything really and there was a lot of uh let's call them celebrities with scare quotes around it uh from the world of the paranormal there and and you know they had their entourages and stuff like that and to a, to a newbie like me it was pretty intimidating but there were folks and I I've put him over a million times for it but since we haven't had you on so long I haven't had the opportunity to keep putting you over for it as well uh Peter Robbins was just the nicest guy that weekend really made me feel welcome and at home in the world of ufology, and you did as well. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for you, I really wouldn't have the, uh, you know, I never would have got the drive to really do this and get mixed up in all this. So I, I really uh, thank you for that, and, and it, I'm looking oh, forward sure. to reconnecting. I didn't, uh, I, I didn't know I had that effect on people, but no, very good. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, 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 I think at the time you introduced yourself maybe even then you said i'm starting a radio program or something or you know and i i meet so many people at conferences but you try to you try to be gracious to everybody you know sometimes people are really annoying but <laughs> you know oh, I 90 percent yeah. of the people you, you try to be really really gracious with but thank you thanks i'm i'm uh, I'm glad I have that influence. Yeah, because <laughs> what you've done. <laughs> I haven't forgotten it. I have not forgotten it. Um, oh, thank you. So I guess let's catch people up to speed uh, on what you've been up to. Well, let's start with the bio, the background, because it's been so long, and some folks haven't dipped that far back in the archive yet. So tell people, you know, who is Melinda Leslie? As we said here, 25 years uh, researching, investigating the ufology, ufological phenomenon, uh, as one would have it, and. Uh, 33 years as a psychic, which is tremendous. So tell me a little bit, you know, who is Melinda Leslie? How did this all sort of come together for you uh, to develop in such an amazing career? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, I'm like, seriously? <laughs> um, yeah. okay. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Give us the elevator version. I, I, yeah, I've been in ufology for 25 years. Um, and as you read my bio, I also uh, do readings. Uh, I've been involved in metaphysics pretty much my whole life, but really, uh, really hardcore for 33 to 35 years. Um, starting at some point when I was in high school, you know, as a child, but <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> and, uh, anyways, and then, um, um, 25 years ago got involved in ufology, um, and I've had, you know, throughout this, I've had regular jobs, too. I had regular bread and butter jobs. And kind of always, as many people in the field do, you do these things on the side. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very much um, a, a life path. Uh, and it may be separate from how you earn the living kind of thing. But exactly. But now, yeah, now a little over three years ago, I moved to Sedona. And uh, I'm in Stone, Arizona, which is, if you've ever been here, it's stunningly gorgeous. And and now I'm here, and I had always done readings on the side, and so I jumped into doing that full time. Um, but I really moved here to start up these UFO tours that I do, mm-hmm. where I take people out with military night vision goggles to have UFO sightings. Last night, and I told this guy, I almost didn't do the tour last night. It was kind of a funny thing. I don't need to tell you a story. But I ended up just taking out one gentleman, and it ended up being at the last minute. And we had a great time. We had great sightings. But on the way driving there, it dawned on me, oh, my God, this was my 300th tour. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'd already, I'd already planned, like, a week before, I think, hey, you know, at like tour 297, 298, you know, whatever. 
Yeah. I, you know, 296. I was planning that when I had my 300, I was going to contact the people ahead of time, say, let's meet for dinner and make it, you know, a special event being my 300. And it ended up being the last in the thing where the people were supposed to go. They pulled out, anyway, long story short, boom, it was just me and him. And I'd forgotten about it being the 300. So we're driving out in the car and I'm like, Oh no! He's like, what? I just remember. And I told him, I said, "You're my 300th tour," and it had like no fanfare, nothing. Very impromptu, last minute thing. And I thought, wouldn't you know? You know, in in, in its own way, there's some there was something perfect about that. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it, but it was great. And so, long story short, there I've done 300 tours now. Okay. Um, in 300 tours, where I'm taking people out with military night vision goggles. Um, I use just so case people are wondering uh, PVS 7A Generation 3 military night vision goggles, um, which allow for over 20,000 times more light than you see with your naked eye. Wow! And uh, and we've had um, um, so many times. Um, I actually guarantee people will have sightings or they get their money back. And I know a lot of people in ufology would be going, "What?" You know, but it's just we see so much stuff that I have a money back guarantee. Um, and uh, I, in taking 300 tours out, only once did I have clients feel they didn't have a sighting. I took out two older couples, and one of four people felt they hadn't seen anything. That was the only time that that happened. Hmm. All the other 299 tours, we've always, always had sightings. Um, there have been a handful of tours that were maybe less than five sightings. Um, the significant number of tours have been five or more, and like this year, we've been averaging 15 and 20 sightings every night. Wow. Um, and so a while back, someone said, well, how many total signs do you have? And I thought I hadn't counted, but I kind of went back over some back records and decided I'd pick a really low conservative average, probably actually higher than this, but I, I said, okay, low conservative average really conservative, would be like averaging 10 per tour. Granted, a few times less, many times, in fact, most times more. Um, so in, but anyways, 10 times 300 would be 3,000 sightings. And that's truly what we've had. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I never dreamt in a million years when I started doing these tours, we'd have as many sightings as we do. Do you get jaded after you've had so many? Because you're, you're the one who goes, you've, you've, you've had yeah. all of them, essentially. So you, you were like, <laughs> you ever just like, yeah, it's another one. It's another one. I'm trying yeah, to check my Facebook <laughs> here on, on my phone. Leave me alone. Well, I'm laughing, but you're actually really true. <laughs> actually really true. I mean, I try not to. You know, I, I mean, I try to have it be, you know, fresh and exciting every tour. But my expectations are, are, are really high. Now, what we're seeing are lights at high altitude. And I educate everybody on planes shooting stars, so those things are all very obvious. I'm very, very obvious. Mm. Planes, acquisition lights, they blink. They're very mechanical. They're actually very low. Most of them are noisy. It's all really obvious. Um, and as soon as people go out with me, they totally get it. They're like, oh, yeah, no, you know. And then uh, and shooting stars, and, you know, of course, they burn out. They usually have a tail. They're, they're very obvious. Yeah. And then we see things. Uh, now, of course, satellites. Satellites go across the sky on fixed trajectories, they're locked in with the rotation of the planet. They go in a perfectly straight line, very slow, from horizon to horizon. And they're not, you know, and they're not going to, and I start to say we see things 
predominantly what we see are things at very high altitude. Um, but we see things that stop, turn, change direction, flying groups of, you know, two, three, four in unison, um, zigzag, uh, make an arching turn, uh, suddenly shoot off into space, you know, things that obviously don't do. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I've, I've taken out satellite experts and I've asked and astronomers and professional pilots and every time I take out these extremely, you know, qualified, you know, uh, people, you know, um, I I learn stuff from them. So yeah. I'm able to say unequivocally, you know, um, we're usually able to rule out any of the known things and then we're left with, with the unknowns. Because, again, like I said, we're seeing things satellites don't do. And uh, now on, on um, and predominantly we're seeing lights high up. But we have... Yeah, I was going to say, does the times. distance, does this, because I'm sure the skeptics, you know, they always cling to these things that when you talk to somebody like what you're doing, you can easily have an answer for them. But then they, you know, in a different setting, they'll just throw this out there where you're not, you don't have the chance to explain why they're wrong. So so no bats, birds, and bugs. We're going to assume that, that you're not seeing that well, kind of thing. Well, those things are all, you know, when, um, those are extremely close and way out of focus when you're okay. looking with the night vision goggles. Right, that's what um, I mean. Like if, you, like if someone ran into no, one of these yeah. skeptics you're, on the street, that's you're, what they would say, and, and we wouldn't have the chance to. Yeah, no, you're not. You're, um, I mean, once in a blue moon, we'll see a, a bird or a bug, but it's just a complete blur because it's actually really close to the goggles. It's, it, it's you know, it's totally different than these lights that we're seeing that when I take out professional pilots, they're telling me what I'm seeing. It's generally like 40 and 50,000 feet. It's up at like satellite height. Yeah. But again, when things make an arcing turn, if they zigzag, if they stop and change direction, if they're flying in groups of two or three to f- or four together, you know, again, satellites don't do that. <laughs> hmm. And uh, so it's, 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 it's really awesome. And um, I, I will say this. We have seen structured craft. And structured craft for the, you know, novice out there just means like a classic UFO. When you see something close enough to really make out distinct structure, you yeah. know, metallic structure or whatever, as opposed to just being a big glaring light that's just, such a bright light, you're not seeing what the possible shape of it could actually be, you know. Yeah. Structure craft we've seen seven times, and some of those have been really phenomenal, large discs, probably four and 500 feet above us. I mean, extremely phenomenal things. Yeah. Yes, we've also, you know, to varying degrees. I mean, that's like two of them. One time, one time we had a big black triangle. It, it was up pretty high, but at arm's length, it was about a half inch in size. If you stick your hand way up and you hold your hand and you make it, you know, space between your thumb and first finger saying, okay, you know, half inch, and then you take your hand down, you're still talking something pretty good, you know, maybe, maybe something at like helicopter height, you know, kind of thing, yeah. or or small commuter plane kind of height, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, But we did see a, a nice black triangle one night. We've seen this twice, a big teardrop another time, um, a diamond shape another time. It's all different and, sources. So no, so no, and yeah. the other two times were like big round spheres. Um, but the two times we saw like this, it was really spectacular right above us. So, you know, that's absolutely happened. But I always tell my clients, don't expect that. I mean, if it happens, great. It has happened seven times. But if, if, if you don't expect that and you're just expecting to see life at high altitude, you know, yeah. um, we'll still have some, we'll have some great sightings. And I've taken out, you know, many, uh, many skeptical people, many skeptics, um, 
you know, to varying degrees. And uh, and I've even taken out people who've, you know, had a previous sighting before and kind of need that fix. They're looking forward to seeing something again to yeah. help them make sense of what they previously saw, you know. Now, do these um, things ever react like they know they're being watched by you guys? Because, you know, in some yeah, instances. Yes, uh, yeah. Um, I don't always think to do this, which is a, a shame, but um, we I take out a laser pointer. Well, I always take out a laser pointer, but we use a laser pointer for pointing stuff out, and we pass the goggles around so everybody gets to see it, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And I have multiple pairs of goggles that we share. Um, but uh, I learned early on, or I knew this from other people previously doing this, that occasionally you could flash a laser at them and get them to flare up in reaction back. Oh. And um, so when I remember to do that, that's what I was commenting as a shame. I don't always remember, but hmm. we, we laser stuff and we flash at the laser and get it to, you know, flare up in reaction back. Um, one kind of reaction or one flare up I'm not that impressed by because I kind of want to have it happen again. Although some of those are very bright and, you know, still very interesting. But there are some times when we get it to react five, six, up to, you know, ten times reacting to a laser. And when it's constantly, and and it, and it seems like it's only flashing back when I'm flashing it with the laser, which doesn't just mean pointing at it. I'm going on and off, on and off with the laser really fast and then leaving it off for a few seconds and then going back to going on and off, on and off, on and off. And so if it is only flaring up right when I'm signaling it, then that seems to be, you know, a pretty good indication that we're getting a reaction. Right. And particularly right. if it's happening a handful of times, you know. So, um, yes. So, yes, we do We do have that. I'm getting better about remembering on tours now to do that more and to show my clients, and, and my clients are now doing it more. So we've been getting more reactions, but that's because we're doing it more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's and not everything does. I mean, a lot of times you're flashing away and something doesn't react. Um and could that have turned out maybe to be a satellite? Well, that's why we watch it for a while and see. But even if we have something doing something unusual, making an arcing turn or two or three things flying in unison, sometimes I'm flashing away at them, no reaction. And I'm always like, fine, be that way. <laughs> They're probably texting. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Interesting. All right. But, you know, but, uh, but a lot of times we get that reaction. And then, of course, I'm still going back to kind of your initial, you know, leading conversation here. Um, I am still doing all my research. I still have cases. You know, one thing out here in Sedona is we have a, a large underground installation. Yes. And depending on certain areas around Sedona, people will go out hiking. Um, I could say times day and night, mostly day, because you can't really go out in our wilds here and hike at night. It's just too dark, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and but because we're a dark sky city, we actually have federal designation for being a dark sky city. Oh, nice! And which means we have very minimal lighting, and we're also at altitude, so our skies at night are extremely clear. Um, I take people up on a hill that's at 4,700 feet. Um, anywhere in Sedona, you're at least 45, 40, you know, 44, 4,500 feet, and in certain areas, you can go up to about 5,000. It was in the heart of Sedona, higher in the surrounding areas. But um, so I take people up on this hill. It's really clear. It's dark sky city. 
um, and uh, that helps us. And then we use the night vision, like I said, which allows for over 20,000 times more light than you yeah. use your naked eye. But Sedona is a hot spot. It always has been for sightings. And it's been long known by not everyone in town, but by many people in town that we have this underground installation out here. And you can be out hiking down some of our canyons and trails. And these are well-marked, well-known hiking trails and canyons. So, you know, um, sometimes a hundred, hundreds of people a day can go down. Yeah. Um, and yet some, it depends on just if you're there, you know, long time, you can get stopped while out hiking by these guys in dark jumpsuits, shoot, suits, I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> with machine guns over their shoulder saying you've entered a restricted area and you have to turn around. Jesus. Sometimes these guys approach in black Broncos, black Bronco trucks, or black SUVs or even small black Jeeps, but I've heard reports of Jeeps, SUVs, and Broncos. Um, and, uh, um, and then the guys are always dressed all in black. Um, I have had two accounts where the people were stopped actually at gunpoint, where the guns were drawn as opposed to just over their shoulder. Um, but I've had many cats share this shared with me, a local well-known researcher in the area um, who's well-known in ufology, who's written many books on the area out here, Tom Dongo. Tom Dongo's had multiple accounts of this, and a few other researchers in the area. So I've probably had, you know, uh, 20 to 30 of these accounts shared with me. Tom's had about that many shared with him. Um, someone else I know says they, they've had about 10 accounts shared with them. And th- we could have some cross-correlation and hearing from the same people in some cases maybe, but, you know, obviously it's happening to, to quite a few people. And often people, when they tell me, only because they meet me and we have a conversation about something else or they come out on a tour with me or something, then did they bring up that this happened to them or this happened to someone they knew. Hmm. But I'm just saying this area... It, it, has this happen where people are stopped and accosted by um, by what appears to be military and uh, and told to you know t- turn around and that's some just you know really strong supporting evidence for the fact that we have this installation out here yeah and of course we have a lot of black helicopter accounts out here it's well known that black helicopters land and refuel at our airport and fly into our canyons and that's seen by many people. And people are always ask me, what's with the black helicopters? And I go, ah, eh, they, they're going out to the base. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, um, they're seen out here a lot. Um, and uh, and then and then also while out out here, I've had continued my lab cases. My lab just mean for those who aren't who may not know military abductions. Just yeah, yeah. Me. I want to get into it. And this. it's actually it's actually an acronym I'm not, I don't really like. <laughs> oh. It's known. It's known in ufology now, and so yeah, I use it with because, it, yeah. you know, it's it, it's just kind of um, I just kind of caved in, I guess, <laughs> this is what everybody calls it. Well, let's but, let's, um, let's catch people up but, on on that. Let's start with uh, just give them a thumbnail yeah. on on the on on my since you it's a good segue in a way because uh, tell them what yeah. a my lab is and why you prefer it a, a different nomenclature for that. Okay, sure. And we'll get into this. Um, my lab just means uh, it's an acronym from MIL, meaning military, and AB for abduction. It tends to refer to mostly people who've had alien abduction experiences who then get targeted 
by human agencies. And often it also, particularly that term, refers to some of these people who are then targeted by human agencies will get abducted or picked up to be by human agencies to be uh, interrogated or have um, follow-up medical procedures or be questioned or, you know, whatever, or threatened. Yeah. Did that too. Um, and it's kind of become a catch-all phrase to mean any time that there's someone in ufology, mostly in the abduction field, whether they're an experiencer or a researcher, um, but it can mean other people in, in ufology as well, who have this targeting by human agencies and involvement in, in their lives by human agencies. Um, of course, the long-known phenomena in ufology of men in black, or MIBs, falls into this category. Um, uh, but it's but that was mostly an old term for what seemed to be an agents in, in suits um, or, or black coats, um, yeah. long black coats sometimes, uh, but, but where the agent was wearing all black. Initially, too, a lot of the early accounts where they had like a, a black hat on, um, black sunglasses, but they also had kind of pasty white skin. A lot of times the people who had encounters with these individuals thought that they were ETs or at the very least hybrids. Um, was often reported. But over the years, there were also all sorts of threats and warnings and involvement from out-and-out right agents, um, sometimes guys in suits coming to your door, sometimes plainclothes people getting involved in your life. So it, it, it branches into any time, basically, that there's government harassment, a, a human agency involvement with an abductee or, or a UFO researcher. Uh, but uh, but then with the abductees, so let's kind of just focus on that because, yeah. like I said, it can happen to researchers too. But for the sake of my research, my research is more or less people who've had the alien abduction experience who then become targeted by these human agencies. And it can be military. Often people say they, they not only operate or speak in a very militaristic sense, but then often are also seen in uniforms. Um some people have experiences with what they could relate to as more of a, a, a lab environment with scientist types. And some, some is, um have involvement with what seems to be like intelligence insiders, people from the intelligence community uh, involved. And, uh, and it gets into a lot of areas of research that are now known in in mind control research, like targeted individuals and this kind of thing. Yeah. So it, it, over the years, it's grown and become more complicated. Now, I choose to kind of, you know, everyone in ufology kind of, it's such a broad subject, as you well know. Yeah. And it covers so many areas that you kind of become a specialist. You know, right. you have your niche. And, um, and some people are very good at being the generalist, but they're still specialists, like I think of Richard Dolan, who looks at it from a historical context. Exactly. Context. Yeah. So he's still looking his his niche is historian, you know, looking at it from a historical context, um, but yet having a broad view, or at least over the years, he's had to he's had to broaden his view for right. sure, you know. Um, Paul David, who I know, I think you had on your thing recently. I, I looked. I, 
I yeah. on your website. So, nice. <laughs> Paul David does it from the the, the viewpoint of a of a filmmaker. Exactly. So as a director, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, you know. So everyone's got their niche, and and certainly you have the abduction researchers and the Roswell researchers, and you have to go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. So my niche really is saying, okay, my kind of prerequisite for taking on a case or really looking into something is saying first off that you're an alien abductee, that you've probably known that for a while, you're probably a fairly substantial case, and meaning evidence and witnesses and, you know, not always, but in general. And then you also have this human agency involvement show up. And the thing is, it, there's it can start very low grade and an increase. And my research is, I mean, especially like in the last eight years, <laughs> it's really gone a lot further. Um, it, it can start with, for instance, harassment, surveillance kind of stuff. Yeah, this is the, um, now hold on, I let mentioned me just... black helicopters flying over, you know, Sedona earlier because uh, they refuel up at the airport. But, for instance, black helicopter harassment kind of stuff. Right. Now, let me just um, jump in here because you sent me the graphic. Yeah. So we're going to kind of let's, let's roll into that a little bit here. Cause, uh, oh, great. Oh, good. I'm glad you have that. That's yeah. that's that's uh, perfect. In fact, I should try to see if I can bring that up on my computer really quick. And for the folks okay. listening, it's on Rough the banal page. It's on the uh, – we just posted it in the chat room uh, for the live listeners. It's uh, – uh, I don't really need to describe it too much because uh, hopefully they can go check it out. But it's sort of like a, mm-hmm. a curve here that has a whole bunch of different scenarios, I guess you could say, that happened to these yeah. folks. Um, you know, as a result of this. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, 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 so much in more recent uh, lectures and presentations, I'm going to look at the site myself. And uh, um, in recent lectures and whatnot, um, I was realizing I was trying to explain this. And so somewhere along the way, I said, I need a, visual representation that both helps me be on track for, you know, explaining it to people. <laughs> exactly. But also also um just to give people an idea. And I came up with that and now I've tweaked it a little bit, but I think it's it's really kind of a, a nice uh visual representation of exactly where my research has gone and helps people understand how this subject matter works. That is a nice representation um, that I, I worked on real hard and tweaked, you know, periodically to have it uh, really demonstrate um, that it starts off, like I said, and actually it, my research is now realizing that it also starts prior to the person actually having the alien abduction scenario. For instance, uh-huh. we know, well known in abduction research, is alien abductions run in families. It tends to go back in the genealogical history of the abductee. Um, there, it's extremely common in uh, abduction research and abduction accounts for abductees to realize this goes back, you know, two and three generations for them. If you're an abductee, you realize it's happened to your parents. If you're an abductee, you have children. It also happens to your children. That's very common. Uh-huh. Um, there are many cases now that are aware that it goes back, you know, where, again, you're an abductee, it happens to your kids. Maybe if you and your kids are getting older and then they have kids, it happens to them. Or 
you, you learned it happened to your parents, then you learned it happened to your grandparents. So it's actually really common to have it go back four generations. Wow. And I even know of two cases where it goes back five generations. Yikes. There's this wonderful little piece of film uh, footage that um, a filmmaker interviewed four generations in a family, um, a grandmother, mom, daughter, and grandchild, who were on sitting in, you know, with each other talking about their experiences where all four people are on camera. And I, I said, that's actually really, really good. Yeah, that's um, powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but that's that's well known in in abduction research now. So when people look at this graph, I I have this little, like arching you know arrow, and then on there in red it says ET abduction. But there prior to that, for instance, before someone has an ET abduction, often they have prior UFO sightings and psychic contact before they're an, an abductee. So a lot of times people are already having kind of a a contact scenario even before the ET abduction and then also realizing the, the genealogical uh, involvement in their lives. And and then some abductees question, could they have some kind of past life agreement um, to being involved? So that comes up as well. So it seems that even for an ET abductee, your being an ET abductee goes back prior to whatever your first healing abduction experience actually is, right, where it can right, go back right, in your family, it can go back with psychic contact and sightings. Um, so there's a, there's this whole kind of life involvement before you realize, and a lot of abductees end up realizing, even though they may learn as an adult that this is happening, that they end up learning it's gone back in their life earlier than that. So it's it's kind of Pardon the expression, gray area. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I'm sorry about that. But, but gotcha, it is. Yeah. It's kind of like how do you define where this actually began? And what I'm learning is it doesn't. Yes, sometimes it begins with you have an ET abduction and that's the beginning. But in most cases, you're going to end up finding out it went back in your family. You're going to find out that that maybe there was a past life connection agreement and that maybe you were having previous psychic stuff happen. So I'm just saying it's, that's that's now the, more the norm. Terry hmm. um, involvement. With the covert ops involvement, that often goes back to families as well. When I'm meeting covert ops cases, I'm finding out that there's this whole pattern um, to stuff going back in their family. Um, and I'm not surprised when I'm working with someone who's having the the covert ops, and that's what I prefer to call, by the way, as opposed to saying in my lab, I prefer to call it a, a covert ops involvement or okay. covert ops abduction. Meaning black ops, covert operations, it did means a human involvement and obviously covert in nature. And, uh, okay. you know, when you say covert ops in, in military terms or in intelligence terms, most people go, okay, got it. You know, it's kind of an instant recognition. Right. Um, and, and covert operations and black ops. And, you know, most people now, I think, have a general understanding of what that might mean. Certainly the um, audience, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, so, uh, again, though, the covert ops involvement often goes back in the family as well. It can be everything from literally the harassment surveillance abduction scenario part of that. Right. But it can also just be a family history and being involved in those kind of programs. Now, early on, I realized many abductees have military stuff going back in their families, but, you know, in a certain age bracket, you know, um, 
for it to have a family member that is either in the military or was in the military or was in World War II or Vietnam or Korea or something, you know, it's just, or Iraq, Iran, you know, it's all just, I realize that's not any kind of indicator. That's just common in general. Yeah. But, um, but realizing that, uh, um, that people have, have family backgrounds, for instance, that go into military intelligence, Department of Defense work, aerospace work, uh, intelligence work, uh, CIA, NSA work, uh, covert development programs, um, uh, and also a little bit of some secret society stuff that comes up. And oh, it's boy. usually not any one of those. It's usually multiples of those. Yeah. So when someone's having the covert ops involvement, I actually have a, a questionnaire with a bunch of questions, um, but some of them get into this category of, have you had a family member in this, that, or the other? And I am not surprised now at all. Initially, I kind of was, but now I'm not at all that people have family members that were in these various programs. Hmm. And it's usually a combination. So it's like, oh, he was aerospace, he was intelligence, and he was a... Uh, you know, 30-degree member Mason, too. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> Exactly, yeah. It just comes up so consistently that I, I almost I expect it. Right. I actually expect it. Now, it's not always there. It's not always there. So it's not an absolute. But I'm not surprised to find out that this goes back in the person's family. So then moving forward, if you're following on the, the graph, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that... So then, so then, at some point, you have the ET abduction experience, or you come to realizing that you're having that happen, and uh, and most people realize it, it happened to them previously as well. It tends to be an ongoing life involvement. Right. Um, but then, at some point, the abductee can start having threats and warnings, kind of like low-grade surveillance harassment. Um, it can be everything from phone manipulation to, to um, and some of the, you know, just the clicks and stuff on the phone. Eh, okay, maybe. But it's gotten very aggressive in many cases where it's actually warning phone calls. It's actually another person clearly coming on the line in a conversation. You hear the person breathing. Sometimes the person will actually comment on the conversation. Sometimes these are electronic voices. Um, as opposed to what sounds like a live human, sometimes they're clearly electronic in nature. Um, so this has been happening with many, many people. Yeah. Um, you can be watched and followed. Um, you can be, you know, driving somewhere and, and be followed uh, in in your car, um, be out walking somewhere, realize you're being followed across the street, the person crosses the street with you, you're in an airport, you purposely go around a couple turns, the person's still there, that kind of thing. So, um, so it can be, you know, watched and followed. Um, this must be very traumatic arrest. for people because you're not only being abducted by aliens and then all of a sudden you're being yeah. harassed by yeah. other forces. I mean, this is this sounds yeah. like, because even if you're abducted, if you want to kind of put it behind you and you're like, all right, you know, I, I want to get on with my life, I don't want to experience this anymore yeah. or whatever, next thing you know, you're you're thrown into the frying pan here. Uh, uh, well, right. most abductees realize they will continue to experience it. That's another thing that's well known in alien abduction. It, it, it's extremely rare to have a one-time event, and even the well-known cases that you think are one-time events aren't. <laughs> I want to yeah. emphasize for you that listening. Oh, so-and-so only had it once. Bullshit. Okay, I'm telling you that right now. 
we can start right away. Here's a good case and example. <laughs> um, Betty and Barney Hill. They had continued experiences. They had my lab stuff extremely. I talked to Kathleen Martin, their niece about. They had harassment, surveillance, ongoing activity. Barney got picked up, got beat up, got interrogated. They are my lab cases. That's known in space. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I'm telling people, Anne, Anne had subsequent alien stuff. You know, a lot of the abductees go, I think I'm going to lay low about this. <laughs> obviously. Um, so anyway, so, um, and yes, there could be some debate over the Walton case and that kind of thing, but I have reason to believe there was more. And I think there was certainly more with Mike, the crew boss at the time. And, you know, anyway, so I, I think there's just more there. And I think if he ever was willing to get regressed and everything, I think he'd find there was more. Hmm. Um, and I don't think I'm being controversial. I think I'm just stating that this is the way it works. Um, so anyway, so so for most people, though, you know, they're well aware that this is a repeated thing, and once you find out it's happening, it probably is going to happen again. It usually happens multiple times, and sometimes it, it can be extremely frequent, um, you know, where an addict, you realize they're having 100 experiences, you know, so it can, it can really ramp up. But oh getting back to my graph here, so the way this ramps up in someone's life, is, so then they have the harassment surveillance. Then they might have, um, um, like I said, the threats and warnings. So initially, it just seems to be kind of surveillance. It's non-invasive, really. It's just more annoying. But then there can actually be threats and warnings, like receiving threatening or warning phone calls, having people come to your door and, and warn you away from the subject or approach you in a public place, this kind of thing. Um, so it can ramp up to that. Then it can, and that's the next thing is kind of an offshoot of that, which is the MIB experience, the men in black experience or government agent and, and a very overt kind of threatening situation. Um, then a lot of abductees realize they have uh, abduction experiences where they're seeing aliens and military together. And, uh, and this is actually real common. I mean, you know, a, a lot of abductees, even though they may not have a lot of this other deepening involvement, they do have some experiences where they've seen aliens and, and military in the same place. Um, most abductees feel that they're often in an underground base situation. Um, and uh, But like, sometimes you're on board a ship and there just happens to be um, a military personnel there. Now, it's one thing if you see someone who's military who you think might be another abductee, because there are, of course, many mass and group abductions, and, uh, but if the person is seeming to operate in some kind of official capacity or instructive capacity or monitoring what's going on, that kind of thing. Yeah, they're like and free to walk you, around and they you have, Yeah, they're not. They're yeah, not and if, if you have an... If you're an abductee and you have an experience where you think you've, you know, gone to an underground base situation, it could be predominantly military with only a little bit of ET activity. So there's, so it starts to be where there's alien abductions that have a little bit of military presence in it, and then there's military abductions that it's kind of very, you know, disquieting to the abductee if they have. Uh, and human experience, they feel they were abducted by these covert outsides or military, uh, actually have removed them from their car, from their home, whatever. 
and go to a very human installation, you know, clearly military base, clearly research or science facility. They're having, for all intents and purposes, a completely human experience, but then have present where they see ETs in the room or an ET is brought in to interface with them in some way. I mean, when people initially have this, it's it's a, it's, it's very strange and very disconcerting, you know, uh, initially to the ODT. Um, just so people know, I know I haven't really brought this up. What got me involved in researching, I'm kind of, I'll backtrack for a second. Can I do that? It's okay. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> because I realized people are going, wow, how did you get all into this? Because um, we jumped ahead into the research, and I'll continue on with with how this uh, mm-hmm. ramps up. But no backtracking just for a second, I've had experiences with this. You know that, but I yeah, yeah, I knew that. I did. Your listeners don't all know that. Yeah. Um, I now realize I've had about nine or ten experiences with this. I just realized the other day I may have remembered something that I don't know if is on my initial list. Um, yeah, but whatever. Roughly nine or ten experiences of this myself. It was my own experiences in first, first I was self-investigating that I was having alien abduction. Right. Working with some therapists, some hypnotherapists, some researchers in the field, meeting other abductees. And then somewhere along the way, I realized I'd had this harassment surveillance stuff and talked to other abductees and learned, oh yes, other people are having this happen. Talked to some researchers, learned... They knew of other cases with this. And uh, and then that continued to happen to me. So it was out of self-investigating what was happening to me that I met other people. And, uh, and I was already encouraged by a number of researchers to go public with my alien abduction experience. Well, in going public, it made sense when I realized that this was going on to, to breach kind of this subject, to bring it up and talk about what was and what I heard was happening to other people, well, then I was encouraged by so many researchers to do more of that. Um, one tremendous influence on me back then was the late Dr. Carla Turner. Yes. And Carla Turner said, well, you've got to talk about this here. You know, um, you've got to experience this. And she really encouraged me to proceed with it. And, and I did while she was still alive. And, of course, you know, of course, even more so after her passing. Mm-hmm. Um but I, because I've been very involved in ufology and in the research circles and speaking at conferences and lecturing and radio, TV, whatever, and then I used to produce a monthly lecture series many years ago for about nine years. I had speakers every month. So I was known as an event producer as well. And so I got to really get around in ufology, as the case may be, got to know people and, uh, and, and became really good friends with a lot of key researchers and abduction researchers as well. And those abduction researchers have always been extremely supportive of my doing this. In fact, I have not had, I've never not had support from the major abduction researchers. And even now I have a a group of people that have formed a new organization um, apparently that's just formed its research organization. I, I spoke about Kathleen Martin, she's involved, Barbara Lamb, a few other, a few other key people, and uh, and they're approaching me saying, we need to incorporate your covert ops my lab work into this, and we're wanting to know your um, like questionnaire, like how do you know if this has happened to people? What do you ask them? You know that kind of thing. Right. Exactly. And of course, I'm going to share all my my data with them. By the way, folks, if any of them are listening, and people, and this is, I think this 
I'm like, you know, sprinkles involved. It's got like huge, 10 huge people on their board. But I, of course, I'm going to absolutely share my stuff with them. I need to respond to them because this is something literally just, just happened this week that they're contacting me. All right. But I'm so glad to hear that not only are they starting this new research organization, but that they're wanting to include all this. And they they see the need to, and, and they're wanting to come up with a comprehensive questionnaire to ask people about this and you know, and I'm more than happy to to share my stuff with them. But um, but just so you, I just want your audience to know that I started with my own experiences and realizing what was happening, and then meeting other people. And now, of course, obviously, I'm known in ufology for this work. That's right. Um, yeah, you're a mover and a shaker in the my lab world. Well, I kind of by default, I'm like the last man standing. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Nall of America Audio. Well, it's ironic, I'm though. I'm laughing on everyone. I just I have this country humor thing today. But, um, yeah, it seems like the MyLab thing, though, has gotten bigger, uh, especially, you know, in, in the eight years since I talked to you. When I first met you, I, I, this MyLab thing was completely foreign to me, but now I'm hearing yeah. it a lot more often, uh, which is a good thing. That more people well, yeah, I mean, back then, it, you know, Carla Turner and Helmut Lammer. Carla passed away, obviously. Helmut Lammer pulled out of the field for professional reasons to keep his regular career intact. And then, like I said, somewhat by default, I was doing this, talking to other abductees. A few other abductees over the years have come out and been prominent with their own experiences. And uh, and even some of those kinds of people have laid low in the field. Um, A lot of people just need to feel like they just kind of want to get on with their life, you know, this time. And so people come into the field for a while and then kind of drift out. So that's why I said somewhat, it's not like, Everyone's going, oh, it's Linda. It's like, I'm like, like I said, kind of by default, I'm the last person standing huh. uh, right now. Now, granted, there are a lot of abductees sharing these kinds of accounts. A, a, a controversial character <laughs> that I'm talking with in his wife right now, who's having this happen in spades, Stan Romanek. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Absolutely. Boy. Under huge attack. I mean, this is, this is everything that's happening to him is par for the course. With my case, my cases, and what happens to people, and 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 how this progresses. So it, that's exactly what's going on with him. He's had it extensively. He's, you know, been picked up, beat up, had the reabduction scenarios, had harassment, surveillance. I mean, you name it. You know. He's yeah. He's uh. He's got. He's he's in a bad way right now. Let's put it that way. I'm not yes, sure what, what's yeah. going to come of all that. Well, um. I, I know he's. I know he's getting help. I know he'll um, he'll get out of it. All right. Um, I'm confident <laughs> in that. What? I, I'm. I'm just. You seem very confident. All right. I mean. I'm, yeah, I'm uh, confident in that. Okay. I'm confident in that. Um, I, I think. You know, I, I don't want to go into any detail in the show, but I think it's just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay. All and. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, come on, hello, really, seriously. And he's had such—he had a long history of this stuff going on already. So it, I think, I think to anyone who knows about my research, goes, oh, they just totally get it. 
he's just being uh, under attack, you know, and uh, and that's what I think makes it obvious is is when you look at this whole background of the my lab part of his whole story, the covert ops involvement in his whole story, the 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 interest at high levels in his formulas. When you know when you when you look at him getting repeatedly beat up, picked up. Harassed, surveillance, phone stuff, computer tampering. I mean, it's just this, this huge history that it was just like at some point there were, you know, if, if, if he continued to go against the threats and the warnings, they were going to start doing something more drastic, and they did. And so I think that's exactly what's going on there. Okay. But go, so going back to the graph. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think it just, it makes, it, unfortunately, it doesn't, Justify in it. It just it it just makes sense. What has happened to him? Um, totally in keeping with the research, and and but I feel bad for him. For anyone who who has these deepening levels of involvement, like you were just saying, wow, that's got to be really hard for them. And you're just talking about. I just started to mention when you brought that up the the threats and warnings and low grade harassment surveillance stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And that's just, that's the beginning. I mean, you're lucky. If it only goes that far with you and you're an abductee and it stops with that, consider yourself very lucky. Yeah, that's like entry. Because a lot of people, it gets much heavier, which I'll, I'll get into now. So, yeah. um, so you can have the, the, the agent visit threats warnings. You can see aliens with the military. You can have a, a, an abduction at the hands of humans, as I already said. Sometimes a completely human experience, no aliens present. Sometimes aliens involved to varying degrees. You can have a, um, uh, a, a human abduction with follow-up medical research done on you, follow-up medical things. Um, I'll stop here. For, well, I won't stop. I'll just pause. In holding position for a minute. There you go. I'll pause. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Because I want people to know what these folks are interested in. It's not like, oh, they're out to get abductees or nonsense, you know. Um, they're spending time, energy, and money for very specific reasons. There is obviously a very big human agency involvement with the whole UFO phenomenon. Um, that goes back in history. Um, I even have on, the, on my little graph here, at the very far end of the line, I have this little comment that says ancient aliens, because I believe that this goes back in society with the involvement of the, the structures of Earth, you know, I guess you could say, the, the governmental structures, um, the ruling bodies having an involvement with ETs going way back. I think there's ample evidence for that. They may have influenced different societies technologically at different times. Uh, belief systems and religions have been influenced by it. I mean, there's ample information in history um, showing that, uh-huh. of which a lot of that is coming to bear, coming to light, and generally well-known now by popularity of a TV show called Ancient Aliens. <laughs> exactly. You know, but I'm just saying, it, 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 uh, I think there's ample evidence for that. And so when people say, oh, you know, we'll cover up an involvement, well, yes, you can point to a couple significant crash retrievals in the early 40s and early 50s that were really kicking it off with the modern involvement, the modern governments, you know, the modern intelligence agencies' involvement. But I think it, it, there's a lot of it to suggest it goes way back, obviously. And uh, 
and the manipulation, apparent what I think has been a manipulation by ETs of the human genome over time. Um, it could be, you know, the infamous missing link kind of idea and a disconnect between early man and 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 then suddenly huge advancement. Exactly, uh, Sumeria and all technology that. Technology took yeah. off, you know. And 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 I I'm not saying that's an absolute. I just think there is evidence in support of all that. Yeah, we got to keep and, the door uh, open and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so so, but now the, the, let's go back to the the, the current phase of of an interest and involvement, is now it's like, they're, because I believe that they are involved with them, I don't, that's not belief. I mean, that's based upon the evidence. We have a number of insiders who've come out, we're really clear about their own involvement directly with ETs in, in for instance, these underground bases and that kind of thing, and certain programs that they were involved in. And then you have the abductees saying they're seeing this interaction go on. So, it's, it's, again, it's not just the abductees. There's many insiders who've been claiming this for a long time. And, and have said, well, I worked with an ET, and there was one present, or they brought one in to interface with me. And, you know, I mean, that's been going on for a long time now in ufology. Yeah. Um, and so, so um, getting back, though, to what they're interested in right now with the abductees is, is I finally put, like, this phrase on it, because I think it explains it which is that addict keys are being used in, as another source of information, that they're data mining with the addict keys. Because <laughs> that's well known now to say, oh, well, we're getting, you know, they're data mining for certain yeah, yeah, types yeah. of information. They're data mining the addict keys. And, um, and they're using the addict keys in, um, actually, I have you to blame for this. <laughs> that's right. I was wondering. <laughs> when I was on with you eight years ago, Either I said that they are, I was talking about how they um, are data mining. I wasn't necessarily using that phrase, but I was saying they were getting information from the addictees um, and, and getting technical information, getting information about the ETs. And you said, oh, it's like they're reverse engineering via the addictees. Right. And which is true. They are, if you think of the technology reverse engineering program, that it's like de developing the technology, taking apart from how it works and, and applying it to our own technology or developing things that mimics or does what alien technology does. And then somewhere along the way, they figured out the abductees were another source for that information, that a lot of abductees have been given technical information. They've been sat at the controls of a craft and flown it, They've navigated. They've been shown the propulsion. They've been shown the weaponry. They've had hands-on operational, you know, of onboard what seemingly computer systems, onboard operational systems, um, and sometimes the abductees have literally downloaded information into the uh, the aliens, I should say, have downloaded information into the abductee. And then some abductees get extensive alien writing information, alien math formulas like Stan, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. It's not the only one to get formulas. Many people have. He does get a little more extensively than a lot of people, but he's not alone. And so that kind of thing where abductees have a lot of knowledge and they, at some point the, the humans involved with the ETs, with the technology, with the reverse engineering, 
figured out AbJT for just another source of information. Right, right. And then when you said that, though, back then, mm-hmm. it got me thinking, and I realized, did, did you actually say they're reverse engineering via the abductees, which they are, or are they reverse engineering the abductees, which they also are? Because, first off, they're learning how to abduct people really well and how to mimic some of the same methods and abilities. As no, I see what you're saying. Yeah, they, yeah they're, they're coming up, and, they're using them in two ways, yeah. And then they're very interested in, in the genetics of the abductee. And I believe that um, a lot of genetic work has gone on with studying the abductee's genetics, the fact that it does run in families, why is that, what is going on, the whole genetic component of the hybrids. So um, I think that's another aspect that they could be literally reverse engineering, like building an abductee or building, or more importantly, learning what all that is to train individuals um, for instance, abductees are very good about interfacing with the ETs, uh, communicating with them, the the telepathy, the psi, yeah. psi being PSI, like the psychic internal aspects of it. And um, all the insiders and the abductees say the alien technology all runs on this psi or psychic component on a mental interface direct mind to technology component. Hmm that I believe that as they reverse engineer craft and as, as there are these development programs to develop the technology, they've realized you've got to have this side component. You right. cannot, you cannot, you can't defend yourself from aliens. You can't defend yourself from the weapons. You can't fly or navigate craft. You can't meet them on any kind of playing field without having that component. It's like the movie and District 9, they, they tried to figure out how, how, how you had to be an alien to use all the, all the weaponry and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so as abductees have this ability to some degree, or have been taught it, hmm. or have a genetic component to it, or all the above, then certainly they're, they're interested in that. So, so they're, they're, they're wanting to know, you know all, all those aspects. And so in my saying that, yes, they're reverse engineering via the abductee, of course, and they're also reverse engineering the abductees themselves um, and, and learning what makes you an abductee, everything from why are the ETs interested in you, how they changed or altered you, what are you capable of doing, can we, can we learn that, can we train personnel to do that, can we learn from you and turn around and train other personnel. Right. You know, so, and, and I... I can't even say how far all that's gone necessarily. Um, again, though, to kind of surmise, um, what they're interested in from the abductees is, like I said, the genetic component. Have you been altered or changed? Um, have you, do you have the hybrid children? Why is that? That whole part. Yeah. Um, another thing they're really interested in is what do you know about the alien agenda motives? As an abductee, why do you think? Why are the aliens doing this to you? Why are they doing it to others? Why are they here? What is their long-term goal? Kind of just that whole the alien agenda. What is that? That's kind of scary um, that they're trying to get this information out of the abductees because that lent, that that you know suggests that they don't actually know any of that information, which is scary. Oh no, no, I can think they know a lot. I think they could be looking for verification. Mm. Um, they are in, involved in interacting with ETs, but I think that could be very limited. I think it may be a couple of groups, but not all of them. Okay, that's what so you're So if saying. you're an abductee and you have involvement with some of the other groups other than the ones that they're involved with, <laughs> you know, 
Oh, they, yeah, they're going to be like, whoa, out. what's going on with this thing? Yeah, is that, is that, is that yeah. under the under the uh, ET spy? Is that what what you call ET spy? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll get back to the, the draft here in a minute. Yeah, you don't I'll, don't feel I'll pull everybody in. So, yeah. But um, but let me just say this: the, the, the kind of the four predominant categories that I figured out early on, and it just keeps kind of being proven over and over again, is that genetic component category, and in, in with that comes a lot of medical things. Uh, the agenda and motives category, the psi category, which is do you have uh, psi abilities as an abductee? Has that been enhanced by the aliens? Is there, do you have a genetic component to that? Um, have you been sh- shown and told things by the aliens or have they taught you how to do stuff? Do you, are you able to do alien psi, basically? And, uh, and that whole, that whole uh, you know, component of it. And, and what are your abilities and how advanced are you and can they recruit you into their advanced side program, you know, so so the, that aspect. And then and then the fourth category is the technology. What what have you been shown and told? What do you know how to do? What have you been downloaded with? And and do you have that side component to being able to actually operate the technology? So there's, there's crossover between these areas. But yeah. the technology, the side, the agenda motives and the and the genetics seems to be the things that they're interested in. Makes the most sense. Um, so going back to my, my graph then, so so you can have the reabduction with medical research and uh, and then you can have where you are abducted and interrogated. And some of those are just basically threats and warning kind of interrogations, but some of them are asking you what you know about certain technology or and, you know, all those other things I just covered. So the interrogations, um, the side development and testing where the, the covert ops humans then are interested in your side ability. They test and drill you, see what you're capable of doing. Can, can you only do it with when ETs help you? Can you do it on your own? Can you do it on command? Um, are you interested in being involved in any programs? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then military drills. This was reported early on by the abductees that they often they're put in these kind of drill exercises. It's like seemingly to be used in maybe some kind of ET interface militaristic capacity. Um, and that's changed over time. I'll get a little more into that. Um, a, a lot of people are put into a role of being an ET liaison, like mediator. Um, um, for instance, two cases that come to mind. Yeah, and these exactly. cases both are known to be abductees going back. And a lot of people don't know that, but, but one is... Um, for instance, Dan Sherman, who wrote the book Above Glass, was an abductee, joined the military, ends up um, being recruited into a program to interface directly with ETs while sitting at a at a computer, and uh, and he wrote a whole book about that. Um, another gentleman comes to mind is someone like Dan Burrish, who worked at S4 as an engineer, was put in a capacity to interface directly with ETs. Um, uh, Charles Hall is another individual claimed to have a similar experience, but put in a you know communication role with ETs. Um, there are many of these insider types um, who have this kind of story, and uh, and a lot of these people tend turn out, even if they're reserved about talking about it, uh, turn out to also be abductees. That they may have been abductees even prior to that that situation. Hmm. Um, and then some abductees are then used in a situation where they might be spying on the on the ETs per se, um, where they could be 
brought into some kind of program, recruited into something um, to kind of spy on, on ETs. Um, I, I know of a n- number of cases of people that have reported that kind of activity. Um, even myself, I had a, one of my covert ops abductions. I was being extensively interrogated about a piece of technology that apparently in a previous experience with these guys, that's something I know I have nine or ten, but I, there may even be more experiences because like this suggests there's another one where I had a previous interrogation scene from a previous abduction where I was asked to find or look at a particular kind of technology, should I ever see it or have my hands on it. And then I was picked up again and interrogated about about that piece of technology and and what I learned about it. Yeah. So there seems to be, so against my will, without my knowledge, that I was even used in that situation. But some people are used more in, in, intensely and more absolutely than, than that. And then um, uh, another thing that can happen in there is, like I said, the side jobs recruitment, where you're used in a, in a side capacity uh, because of having those abilities. Uh, again, that kind of relates to the, like I said, the how to harness their psi abilities. Yeah, yeah, how to harness their psi abilities and, and, to, and to be used in psi-related programs. Um, even some of the old military remote viewer guys, um, the only one who really addresses this, but he's addressing it more and more, and I'm really glad that he is, is Lynn Buchanan. Yeah. Lynn Buchanan's talking about being a previous abductee, having experiences. They knew that, and he was recruited to also interface directly with ETs, and he's now talked about that part of his experience. Um, and I'm just, I totally applaud him for coming out about that. I didn't know that, and all the things start talking about it, and I go, look, there, perfect example. Yeah, exactly. Perfect example. Um, so, um, and then some people actually get recruited. They get far enough into these covert programs that they become like a MyLab perpetrator. You know, you always think of, oh, you know, these horrible people who do these things. And, well, some of them are abductees who've been recruited into that situation. Some of them somewhat reluctantly yeah, under a lot of duress or mind control. Mm-hmm. I, I guess sort of put me into the mind of these folks in a way, uh, you know, the side jobs recruitment or the my lab perpetrator or uh, I guess the ET spy is kind of like uh, they're kind of suggested to look for stuff. But it's like does it become like a Stockholm Syndrome situation where these people are taken by the government so many times that in a way almost it's like, well, they're the only ones that really believe me anyway, so I'm going to work with them because uh, I hate these aliens. Sometimes, yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. You know, what's in the mind of these folks? I don't have all the answers, but mm-hmm. in some cases I can say what you what you just shared would make sense, okay? Yeah. There are some people I've talked to who I think that's part of what's going on. Some people are used against their will under great duress, under a lot of mind control and drugging. And like, like me, in that experience, that was not at my choice, you know. Yeah. So, and people get used to these things in that role. Some of them... Um, it, Another thing I didn't really get into is quite often these higher levels of involvement I'm now getting into. Well, okay, it can happen to, to, to general abductees too, yes, um, and uh, and people who uh, seemingly have fairly you know normal lives and fall under the category of your general abduction kind of account, but then they do 
get recruited and into these deeper programs. Usually those are the people who are done with either a lot of mind control or under great duress. It's done in an abduction scenario, you're thrown into the situation, and you may be doing it under great threat, like do this or we're going to kill you kind of thing. Um, so that does happen. But a lot of these deepening levels tend to happen to abductees who are in the military. Now, meaning, you know, you're an abductee, okay? And you're in the military. And you're someone who's doing military and seemingly totally unrelated, okay? And then these people who are in the military then get recruited into these programs um, while in the military. And so um, that can happen, and, and it, but not always. I mean, some people have joined the military, and yet they get fully recruited, involved in these programs, and it just becomes the next phase of their abduction. I mean, there's a young man, for instance, that I know of, fully recruited into the next thing that we bring up, which is the super soldiers. Right, that's what I've and got somebody in the, the chat phrase, very intrigued by that, super yeah, soldiers. Yeah, that's just the phrase of when people have been indoctrinated, recruited into these programs to be involved, whether with their full knowledge acceptance or whether under complete duress, but still, you know, mm-hmm. it's again, it's a catch-all phrase. But um, these individuals, um, this, this gentleman was used in really advanced psychic-related work and remote viewing work, and he was an alien abductee, gets targeted because he's got these advanced psi abilities, starts getting used in these programs, and it's under his duress, under extreme mind control. He's never joined the military, but he has all these memories of being in uniform and doing stuff, you know, even though he's never joined in his life. Now, some guys actually get recruited from the military and and get recruited into these programs. Again, like I said earlier with um, um, well, Dan Burrish, well, that was more of an engineer than military, but certainly the case of um, um, uh, the guy, uh, I just forgot his name again, who wrote The Black. Um, oh, uh um, yeah, now I lost yeah. it, too. We'll, we'll, yeah, I know, I know. But anyway, but his, I just mentioned earlier, so anyone can go back and listen to what I said a little while ago. Um, right. I just pulled blank. But, he, he, for instance, in his case, you know, he joined the military with full knowledge and then was asked and, and had the, the consciousness of being involved. Now, at times, it was, there were times when maybe it wasn't so much conscious involvement, but for the most part, it, it, it was. Um but then there are the people who, who join the military, for instance. People can be in the military and have a significant period of missing time and later find out that they were used in one of these operations. I know one gentleman who was used in an ET communication role, and he had a year of seamless missing time. Oh, where literally, he, he was in the military. He had a meeting to... He was being considered for recruitment into a special program, willingly went to a particular meeting with some high-ranking officials, and he said, great, you know, more money, more travel, you know, I mean, you know, there's a certain amount of pull, and a lot of guys in the military want to do the special forces, special ops stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. Some of, them, some of them for nice reasons like, you know, nice reasons like, wow, I can travel more, I'm going to make a little more money, and I get to be involved in something cool and be on some inside track of information. And some of them because they just are real jerks and they can't wait to become a better killer. And, you know. oh, so, yeah. yes, you, you know, yeah. I can't begin <laughs> to even get into all the reasons why someone would want to be in special forces. I think people do it for the right reasons and for the wrong reasons, probably. Right. But in this case, in, in, in this case um, so he went to this meeting, he remembers going to the meeting. He remembers leaving the meeting. 
And the next thing he knows, he's standing in his parents' kitchen, like at the sink doing dishes, and turns to his family sitting there at the dining table or something and says, how did I get here? And they said, well, you know, we picked you up at the airport. And he's like, when? And they said, like three days ago. You called us like the day before and said, I'm going to be flying in. Now, okay, so this is basically, you know, he said, you called us and said you're going to be flying in. And, and, and he said, okay. And he said, so we went and picked you up. And they said, you've been out of it. You've spent most of the time in bed in the last three days. You haven't ate much. You know, we could, you said you weren't feeling well, you know. And, but here he, he, he had even forgotten that they'd picked him, picked him up at the airport. He just said, I'm not feeling well. He was out of it. He wanted to sleep all the time. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's standing in the kitchen going, how did I get here? He didn't remember he'd been picking him up at the airport. Jesus. He When in the military, they, they said, what day is it? Well, how long have I been here? And he ended up finding out it was from when he went to that meeting and walked out of it, it was one year later. And his family said, they only spoke to him like three times during that period of time. He said he was on a special mission. He was involved in a special operation. He couldn't talk about it, you know, national security, all that. They said, I, but he would. But there were three times that he called home to say, "I'm okay. Don't worry. You know, um, if you mail me, they're giving it to me, but I can only respond by phone calls." And only at these times, you know, for the, they said in that year period, there were like three, maybe four times where he called home and said, I'm okay, everything's okay, I'm still on the mission. And he has no recollection of that. Until the, the time he called and said, tomorrow I'm coming in on this flight, I'm going to be here, can you come pick me up? And the family had to drop everything and go get him. Weird. And it was a year later. Now, that was a really extreme case, mm-hmm. but what you bet, he's not alone. Then there are cases like Niara Isley, who clearly had like three months of missing time. Or, you know, or um, I know another case that had like three months of missing time. I know another gentleman in the military who had like three weeks of missing time. So this kind of thing. Um, where uh, Some of these super soldier young kids that I've been talking to, some of them occasionally, it's not unusual for them to suddenly have a week or two of missing time. You know, so this kind of thing. Um, and... Uh, I know it just sounds totally wild, but I, mean, I just yeah, it, no, it's all right. I mean, more and more reports wild, of it. Yeah. yeah, more and more reports of it. It seems to be that these they call military on military cases. Folks in the military have more of it. It's more yeah. in depth. It, you know, and not always. I mean, um, again, at any point, they could stop having an interest in you. And and you can go years with nothing, but then all of a sudden be picked up and used for something else. Yeah. And some people have it constantly. It's just like the alien abduction stuff. Even in alien abduction, some have their teeth are like, I got picked up. I got picked up this week. I'll get picked up next week. Because if you're in that phase when you're having that happen, but some abductees go, I haven't had it happen in seven years. That hasn't happened since. Maybe it will never happen again. Maybe it will. Yeah. You know? exactly. So it's the same way with the, you know, and, and it can go a year or two. Myself, last abduction was about three years ago. Um, well, I, although I had my lab one about a year ago, so I had an experience a year ago. My last alien abduction was about three years ago. But the last alien abduction before that one was about three or four years before that. So with me, it goes long periods in between without having anything happen, thank God. But, some, but, but yet in the early 90s, 
I was having alien abductions, like, bam, bam, bam. It was all done and taken over from me. I mean, it's like, every time I had a period, it's like, boom, you know, right afterwards, boom. You know? Jesus. How do you <laughs> function in Yeah, I mean, I was like having, in, the, in like 1991, 92, I was having a lot of stuff happen. But now, not so much. Now, it could be maybe my eggs aren't as viable or something. That's quite possible. I'm, I'm not in menopause yet, but, you know, it's... Is it possible older, that, that because you're sense. so prominent in the field that they don't want uh, really to get involved? Well, I think that's why predominantly I'm, I don't have a lot of the covert ops stuff. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a certain risk there. Um, my last two covert ops experiences were both group abductions. So it was probably about the fact it was part of the group and less about it being just about me, yeah. you know, um, for sure, because they were both, both group abductions. And um, and that's the other thing, you know, like in alien abductions, there's the the there can be a mass abduction where it can be you and two and three other people, or you and twenty, and or you and a hundred people, you know, in an alien abduction. Um, and uh, same with the covert experiences, it can just be you, it can be you and a small group of people, you and a big group of people. Um, that's something that I've learned going on and on. I get more and more these kind of mass abduction accounts, even in the the covert experiences. So. So like I was saying, in that curve, you know, um, of that development of how it can increase, you know, so you can become a perpetrator in a MyLab experience. I know one gentleman, about three accounts of being involved as a perpetrator against his will, not wanting to, regrets it, has horrible feelings about it, but he's thrown into a situation where he's having to instruct abductees and do stuff, and he's very uncomfortable with that. I know another gentleman, a super soldier gentleman, Fasten your seatbelts. This guy loves it. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't laugh. I mean, it's pretty twisted. But um, well, what does he do that he loves so much? Well, the, the being a my lab perpetrator. Oh I my mean, God! No, he he fully fully believes in what he's doing and working for their government to get a handle on this and 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 eventually go to war with the ETs. I mean, his that's he's he's a he's signed on. He is signed on. And what do you bet? If I know of him and heard him, he's not the only one. Yeah. And he's really messed up because the guy doesn't know whether he's coming or going. He's under extreme mind control. His life is in the toilet. I mean, this guy, come on, dude, really? Yeah. Is it worth it? Really? I'm mean, what? You know, but he's, he's fully believes or mind controlled to believe that he's doing the right thing for the right reason. And that we're mixed up you in know? some kind of E.T. war. Or, or going to be, according to him. You know, I mean, that's. He feels that that's why we got to prepare, you know. Yeah. yeah. What do you he's think? A soldier. What do you he's think? a soldier. He was recruited out of the military. Yeah. He believes he's doing the right thing. He believes the abductees are a source of information, and you know, and and he won't. He'll have a hand some handle somebody if he's got it. You know. I, uh, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. And what? He, and what he bet others are like him. You know. So. Um, and then he, you know, is is the super soldier thing? You there? Some of those folks do believe that they've been involved in an ET war, that that is already going on on some level off-planet, um, whatever, yeah. on other planets. I mean, some of them have these accounts and stories of that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, a lot of this I'm going to claim to say I don't know. I know what gets reported to me. I know what I'm hearing. I don't know if it's all absolute. I take it all with a grain of salt. You know, um, yeah, because I know. I'm sure, like, multiple reports from different sources, you kind of go, hmm, okay, 
maybe there are some ET wars going on. Yeah. Maybe there is time travel stuff, and maybe, you know, and, and I mean, somebody's perpetrating the MyLab so that that these are people recruited into those programs. It was just kind of a little disconcerting to realize some of them are people with a background of alien abduction, you know. Yeah. And and then who get recruited. But it it uh, it all kind of, I don't know. Yeah, well, like we said earlier, it kind of makes sense. Way it makes sense. Yeah, if I was no. if I was abducted, I'd probably turn on the aliens at some point too. So, what's the what's the what's this time travel part of the scale? That sounds uh, pretty intriguing. What's what's that all? Well, it's just some of these people also report that they're used in in some time travel related stuff. I mean, that's another thing that that gets reported and comes up. Like and how? it's one of those I I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to make of that. But some of these people say, yes, I'm being recruited to time travel. Some of it seems to be very limited control. It's not like, you know, it, it's like they, they they send them back to fix something for a day, and then they bring them back. You know, it's like not, it's not lengthy. Apparently it has dangers and can mess you up or does mess you up or what, you know. Yeah. So that seems to be what I'm hearing. But, yes, I do get these reports. Of, um, My goodness. And it's everything from just... Um, there's a situation that some of these super soldier types and 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 my labs and 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 covert ops abductees will call jumping, where they they're used like to jump from a place to a place or scenario to scenario. And so there seems to be well, there's obviously some kind of technology like a you know for all intents and purposes like beam up Scotty kind of stuff. There is yeah. you know they're able to relocate somebody, but some of those involve being relocated with a time differential, you know, um, whether it just be a couple hours forward, a couple hours back, or a day back, a day forward, like, okay, we're going to send you back a day or two and fix this situation or something, you know. So um, what can I say? (laughs) I know it sounds far out. No, I mean, it does sound far out. At this point, point, nothing's off the (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now, when you get these, when you hear from these folks, I mean, how do you sort of, how, how do you discern you know, whether the person's just delusional. Well, how much of their other stuff matches? I mean, how yeah. much of their other stuff? Um, a lot of these folks have a lot of mind control stuff go on um, and life manipulation. So it's kind of like, what else is going on, you hmm. know? And it's usually as things start to add up, it's the history of it going back for them. And, and again, you know, the things I just mentioned were the far extreme, you know, Um uh, without a doubt. So you could be anywhere along that graph. I mean, you could be just realizing you're an ETF and then any step thereafter. And some people, you know, many ETF never even get the harassment surveillance stuff. You know, or they do just a little bit. You know, uh, um, and a lot of them just stops with that. Yeah. But a lot of the ETs then say, wow, I saw military in, I mean, a lot of these abductees say, I saw aliens and military together. And, or I had a, or the military took me, but the aliens present. You know, so just, it just starts to, it, it's like the more I hear, it's kind of like I know what the next phase is going to be. Yeah. And so I'm not surprised as, as people's stories develop what might be coming next. And sometimes nothing else ever comes. You know, it just, if if they've used you just for what they need or or they found you not useful. You know, I have I mean, I'm hearing accounts of stuff from people I've never had happen. You know. I mean right. when people say, Oh, you have like nine or ten experiences, oh you know, I'm like 
you know, I'm I'm you don't do any time travel. I'm working with and people that are having stuff happen. I'm low grade. I'm I'm middle of the road. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I know lots of people just harassment surveillance who've never even had the reabduction. I know people who've had a few reabductions, maybe not as many as me. I know a lot of people that have had it more than me. I know the super soldiers. I think they get way, way far out. And sometimes they're not all about soldiers. I'm, I'm saying that. Sometimes people are recruited into the engineering, the reverse engineering programs, the, the, that part. And they may be communicating with the ETs for that technology development part, and there's never any soldier stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's like what we said about ufology. It's uh, the specializations. So. Yeah, yeah. So where but do anyway, you see so this? So that's when research has gone in eight years since we've last talked. It sound, yeah, it's gotten darker in a way. It's gotten kind of spooky. Yeah. Now, where where do you see all this headed? I mean, we, we talked a little bit about the ET war. I mean, uh, well, first of all, actually, let me jump back and say, did you, as a psychic, have you sort of ever applied your abilities to this whole phenomenon to try and, you know, get a get a read on it, you know, a perspective that maybe anybody else couldn't have? Oh, um... I mean, yes and no. I, I mean, yes, I have an intuitive sense. Um, it, 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 it all... Uh, I'm not psychic, so I don't know how it works. I want people to know, in my readings and stuff, that's more like I'm helping people on a one-on-one basis. I'm right. helping them with their lives. Heal, uh, um, um, deal with getting their finances together, getting their success together, getting the right job, getting the right relationship, right. getting out of a bad relationship. Um, you know, so it tends to be about people's lives. And when I do readings, that's what that's about. And then I do mediumship, which is deceased loved ones, specifically, you know, those that have passed and helping people reconnect with past loved ones, friends or family that have, that have died, mm-hmm. you know, and pets, friends, family, and pets that have died. So, and, and, and I love being able to do that and provide that connection, and I, I feel very blessed. And, and it's it's um, opened up a lot for me. Uh, it's one of those things that's like exercising a muscle. I'm getting better at it all the time. Yeah. Um, and more accuracy. Um, and, and so that's what that's really about. In general, though, and sometimes I wonder, you know, is this where I really see things going or is it wishful thinking? And part of me is like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> um, and, and how would I ever really know? But um, I think the the ETs, going back, like I said, going back to the whole ancient astronauts, ancient alien thing, going all the way coming forward then throughout history, it's about pushing us along, helping us to develop in consciousness, develop in technology. I think there is a desire on their part to bring us up to speed. I think that there it may be eventually about them wanting to have commerce and trade, you know, and uh, and it would behoove them, and also to move us along so we're less warring, uh, so that we have um, um, a higher consciousness, more compassion. I, I I think there's evidence again, and I think history shows that that's kind of been their agenda, you know, to to move us along. And yet do it somewhat hands-off or behind the scenes in a way that we're developing on our own. Um, so you, not to be too cliche and tacky to give us 
Star Trek reference, but the whole Prime Directive kind of idea. Right, know? right, right. Uh, I, I think that explains how it's been going on and, and their involvement. But yet, uh, periodically coming in and helping out when needed and and technology and this and that. Now, at some point, whether it was, well, it was going back a long time ago, their involvement with the, with the government. In the age of modern technology, I think at some point maybe we became, you know, with atomic weapons, maybe we became threatening to yeah. a certain degree. And so maybe they kicked it up as far as, you know, what are the crazy humans doing and right, we right. need to put a stop Dangerous. to this. And, it, and there may have been a, a choice then to, for them to become more involved with the governments of the world hmm. and direct them again from behind the scenes. I think there's been an exchange, and an exchange, a one-sided deal where I think the governments of the world have played along because occasionally they get technology and toys from the deal. So they're like, yeah, we'll play along. Because to quote one insider who was interviewed in a very public onstage, he said it's a never that, that the technology development by the shadow government, by the covert groups developing ET technology and hardware, that it has become a never-ending source of <laughs> of uh, budget and funding, and it's the goose that laid the golden egg. Yeah, and and that the cover-up or the policy of non-disclosure is a continued continued desire to for everyone to keep their budgets. To, you know, yeah, no one wants it. to lose the goose that laid the golden egg and their pet projects and their trillion-dollar underground bases, and you know. Right, right. So, I mean, seriously, seriously. So I think, um, and that's what he said, and that, it made complete sense to me that um, they're winning, and uh, and and so it could be that they're doing things with the governments of the world, hoping those governments of the world will make the right choices for their people. Um, at some point, if that really goes off the wrong track, would they step in? I'd like to think they would. I truth is I don't know. I mean I'm wildly speculating. But my my basic psychic sense about this, since you asked, is that is that um the ETs are trying to direct and change things from behind the scenes, working with the structures, um, in an agreement with them to to not be uh really overt about it. Um, right. They might just only violate but, the prime directive if they're overt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe but I can, yeah, exactly. But I, but I, but I can tell you this without a doubt: the ETs have the upper hand. They're oh yeah, exceptionally more intelligent. They're more technologically advanced. They're run psychic circles around these guys, and uh, and so whatever government thinks they're anything out of it, they're just being used. They're just being had. You know, mm-hmm. and where that's ultimately going, I have to admit, I really don't know. I, 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 I think it's ultimately for good and for development, but, but um, I, I, I think it's being handled all wrong. Um, obviously, you know, the, the whole activities associated with the, the policy of non-disclosure, everything from, you know, the abuse of the abductees just being a small part of it. I mean, that's huge. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that's illegal and moral and unconstitutional and, and criminal, you know. Yeah. Egregiously criminal, to say the least. But the, um, uh, I think the holding of the technology, I think that 
that as a people of the planet, we're not progressing in a technological sense. Um, I mean, that we're dependent on on um, on what they give us on oil or petroleum. Oh. Or, you know, is ridiculous. Hmm. I mean, there are technologies available that that the government has uses develops that makes all that stuff completely obsolete. And so, it, to me, the, that that. And, and and meanwhile, we're damaging and destroying the planet in in the meantime. You know, I, I think that that's just real crime. And so I'm one of those people, while um, I think it's so ingrained that disclosure is not going to happen overnight because no one wants to lose their funding and their pet project, their desolate neg for their whole, you know, deal, mm-hmm. um, that um, and no one wants that technology out there because, Obviously, obviously the the the, the control and manipulation it's, uh, and the 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 structure of how governments of the world are now run it's all very corporate. It's all corporate money. It's all about who's who's benefiting uh, financially from it. Yeah, um, yeah. And like the, the government's law behind that. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, exactly. So and not just the U.S. I'm saying worldwide. Exactly. Know, yeah, yeah. We're living and, in a global so, global situation. Yeah, now. yeah. And and um, and when it's become so much about corporate greed, um, you know, that's why these technologies aren't seeing the light of day. You know. Yeah. Uh, now, at some point, occasionally, little doubt can happen because common beings that they can make money off it or something, you know, it does. And I think there is a, a policy of slow, deliberate disclosure, very slow, very deliberate, but for all of us in ufology, it's a little too slow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and, it, and it, it's a shame that that technology information that could really help the planet in, in so many ways, um, economically, environmentally, health-wise, I mean, there's so many, you know, that it, it's, it's a shame. It's an absolute. I just wanted to say shame, and I keep correcting myself, stopping myself from saying shame to say it's, it's criminal that that's not being allowed out. And uh, so I'm one of those people I'm totally for disclosure, but I think it's going to be a long, slow process. It's not anything coming soon. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's a slow. But I think for us. the disclosure movement in ufology, what I see really beneficial about that is it's giving a platform for insiders and people involved in these programs to come out and say their own personal part. Yeah. And and to have a platform, to have protection, to have the ability to do that, to to be able to do it, you know, for instance, before Congress and the Senate and, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying, and the, and the media and having it, you know, so I... I think the disclosure movement, bringing insiders out, bringing the information out, um, creating a, a public space for for that discussion, and for those individuals to have some safety and security in coming out. And eventually, I think we're going to have a critical mass. We will tip the scales. People constantly, constantly, people are becoming aware of the extraterrestrial presence, the reality of UFOs, the significance of alien abduction, and is this. Eventually, we're going to reach critical mass, and people are going to demand the truth. Mm. And and I think that's a big part of when the insiders come out and do their part. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And when, when the public really demands it, 
And the public really demands the truth and to be brought in on it, and they demand to have access to the technologies. It'll change. And and uh, and so I think people like me out there doing what I'm doing, I'm about educating people so that they can start making those demands. Obviously, you are and everything you're doing and, and your radio program and everything else, you know, so yeah. and the writing and everything that you do. We got to get word out. We got to get people to change their minds about this and care. That's the key yeah. part: is getting people to care about it. Because uh... I'm not, and 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 it's so easy for any of us in the field to get frustrated at how long it's taking, you know. But right. at the same time, we got to keep at it. But, you know, but everyone just needs to go. You know what? It could take another hundred years. I'm still going to work this hard at it because it's not about me. It's about all the people I inspire coming after me who are going to make the difference. Hmm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a frustrating, you know, you feel bad for the folks who've been around forever, uh, you know, yeah. like the Stan Friedman's and stuff who've spent like five decades working on this. It's like they deserve to they yeah. deserve to know the answer by now. It's not fair. And a lot of folks who aren't around anymore even, so it's a... The Stan needs to give himself on the path for being one of those people that's inspired. <laughs> Absolutely. A lot of people are after him to take it on and do the hard work and a lot of insiders to come out. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And that's why I said we're, get, we're eventually we'll re- reach critical mass. It's just and it's and it is increasing all the time. But is it increasing fast enough to happen in your and my life? Maybe, not right now. But it's exponential all the time. So it's really it's a really hard thing to gauge. Mm. You know? mm. Absolutely. Now you're going to be heading to Vegas this weekend, huh? For the uh, yeah. Super Soldier Summit Three. That's what it says here. Yeah, it's the. Uh, Mind Control and Super Soldier oh, Summit. There you go. And it's a conference all about the things I've been talking about. You yeah. know, it's really all about, um, it's a lot of the other aspects of mind control, targeted individuals that have nothing to do with the UFO subject. Hmm. And then it has parts that do cross over, like my research. And uh, and then the Super Soldiers in, in that scenario. And uh, Lorian Fenton puts on this conference. I applaud her for really pushing the envelope, taking a lot of slings and arrows, you know, for doing it, and and yet, um, you know, saying, well, this needs to be heard. This needs a voice. This needs attention. And uh, and and I'm really I'm really proud to be part of it. It's it's a smaller conference, but she has an amazing lineup of people. Um, people can go to the website for it, which is supersoldiersummit.com. Uh, Summit. You got it. You got it. Yeah, super soldiers. I hope you put a link on your site. Of course, my stuff for that. Of course, oh, there's going to be links. And to then, all of these. course, for if people want to know about my tours, um, they go to uh, the actual site is SedonaNewAgeStore.com, and SedonaNewAgeStore.com is the, the website for the Center for the New Age where I do my tours and readings out of. Mm-hmm. And I also do classes. For instance, I do a, a class in psychokinesis, uh, spoon bending, bending metal with your mind. And uh, so my my class information, my reading, um, and my tours can all be found there. But to go directly to the tour page, it's just SedonaNewAgeStore.com forward slash UFO hyphen tours. Now, when you go to some of these other places like Vegas or, uh, you know, if you go to another part of uh, Arizona, do you you ever bring the goggles and try and see what you can see, uh, the night night vision goggles in in these places? I admit at the Super Soldier Summit, both not necessarily wanting to travel with them, but also because I'm going to be so caught up in the event. Hmm. And the last place you want to go viewing is Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Sedona's a dark sky city. Vegas isn't. 
<laughs> Vegas is the extreme opposite of Dark Sky City. So you would have to go out. You'd have to go out as far as Area 51. You'd have to go out to Rachel, Nevada yeah. to get far enough away from the light. So, yeah, you can go two hours outside of Vegas and get far enough away from the light and have great sightings. And, uh, but because I'm caught up at the conference, I'm not going to be going, you know, there's nowhere near the conferences at the Gold Coast, you know, right in downtown Vegas. Right. And so there's, you know, <laughs> there's nowhere around there to go view. I would have to go a, a good hour, if not two hours away, to even be able to do that successfully. So we're not going to try to do it there. There you go. Um, but if people come to Sedona, I would love to take you out. We are a dark sky city. We have the benefit of altitude, and it is also a, a UFO hotspot with a long history of sightings. And and that combination is just the, the perfect storm for seeing sightings. And I love doing what I'm doing. You know, I, I'm... You know, Tim, I, I'm changing people's paradigms. People go out with me, and they just go, whoa. And they realize I'm, we're seeing that all the time. There's always that many crafts. And and it's it's really interesting to see people kind of wrap their head around that and, uh, and, and yeah, they, no, I mean, they then live in a different paradigm. We, yeah, well, we need a paradigm shift on this subject in general because, as I said, you got to get more. We got to get the mainstream folks to care. They're too wrapped. They get they get all well, kinds of other stuff thrown at them. You know, there's maniacs well, shooting people. I, I mean, <laughs> who, who has yeah. time to worry about UFOs? Well, that's why I I love taking those people out. You know, and and having them have the experience. It, it's a cliche in ufology to say seeing is believing, but it's so true. There's nothing like having your own personal experience. Hmm. No one can ever lie to you about it again. They, they, they. You know, you, you have a, you, you have a completely different understanding once you've had your own sighting. And I love providing that experience to people. That's what's rewarding. When you said, do you ever get tired of it? You know, yeah, I hang signs all the time. I get kind of blasé, which is you know, and I try not to, but I find that I do. And my expectations go higher because I'm wanting something more dramatic, not only for my clients but for me, you know. Yeah. But I love people's reactions, and I love seeing what it does to people, and that's the part that I never get tired of. Hmm. Well, that's good, because uh, hopefully you'll have some big celebration, let's say for your 500th. That might be the best one, then. How, 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 <laughs> okay. how long do you, do you get to number 500? Another 200? Well, it depends on how the next year goes, you know? Yeah. How many do you do, a like, year, a week? year, and a half. Do you, like, one a week it, it or a couple varies weeks? because, yeah. well, we have, we have areas tourist seasons here in Sedona. Right. So there's times when we have no tourists, and there's times when we have too many tourists and everything in between. Yeah. And uh, no, it's all, we never have too many. Don't get me wrong. It's lovely. But, but you know, we have times when it's, there's no one here and times when it's very busy. And then we have different weather conditions. And we're coming up, for instance, uh, on our monsoon season. Now, our monsoon season is not like torrential rains all the time. But it does mean every afternoon or a couple afternoons out of every week it can rain. But unfortunately, the clouds come in and it's too cloudy at night. Even though it may not be raining, it's often too cloudy. So yeah. I've learned monsoon season, like last year, monsoon season lasted about 10 weeks. Jeez. And 10 weeks, I only took out 10 tours. Oh. When a couple of weeks ago, I was taking five, six, and seven nights out of seven nights. I mean, I was doing at least five nights out of every week. Wow. Um Right now, too, we have these fires going on here you may have heard about, and we have a lot of smoke. It's nowhere near any of the cities. It's nowhere. It's not affecting It's not affecting the hiking or the scenic beauty or anything. Thank God. Um, and they burned it all away from any area that was um, 
the major hiking trails and, and any city areas or populated areas, they, the fire department here has done a brilliant job in pushing it away from all that. Hmm. It's still burning, and there is some smoke, but it's not that bad. But seeing that a lot of people are hearing about this on the news, it made our Memorial Weekend, made a lot of people stay away because they thought, oh, the you know, whole place is on fire or it's all smoking. You can't, you know, you can't even go outside, or, you know, because... Yeah. So, unfortunately, it had an effect, and, and, yes, we still had a lot of people here this Memorial Weekend, but significantly less than what was projected, you know. But, anyway, so you, in, in just to answer what you were saying, that these these, uh, these various factors have a factor on my tour. So, I, I, I would like to say, gee, you know, I do it five nights a week, every week, always. No, you know, no. I don't. Um, there's periods of where I get that busy, and that's usually for a couple of weeks. Uh, the winter, it can be very cold. Again, sometimes it's cloudy. When it's clear during the winter, we have amazing skies, amazing out when it's cold. They just have to really bundle up because it can be like, you know, 35 oh, when we're geez. standing outside. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yikes. And then in the summer, a lot of people stay away because they think, oh, they're going to be hot. It's Phoenix. No, we're in the high desert. The hottest we ever get here is like 100. Where, where are you, Tim? What, where are you? I'm in Boston. In California? So oh, Boston. I get the worst of it both ends. Yeah, you know, we're probably not that – well, you get heavier snow. Absolutely. And yeah. you get a little more heat. So we're, we're more temperate than you are. Probably, yeah, <laughs> you know? that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah you know. Well, I mean, it's, I moved, it's already I moved, getting hot out and people are already complaining about the heat. They don't, you know, yeah. six weeks ago well, we were I complaining moved, about the I moved time. here from Southern California. And I, I – in Southern California, there's whole weeks of the summer where weeks on some weeks it's like averaging 100. Same here. You know, and in California, though, the coldest it really gets is like in the 40s. When here we get down in the 30s. But really, it's not that different, you know, than being in Southern California, weather-wise. Um, we're way cooler than Phoenix, you know, way. Oh, I'm sure, we're, yeah. we're on an average of 20 to 30 degree, degrees cooler than Phoenix on any given day. That's not bad at all. All right, well, we got about a minute left here, so let me throw the plugs in one more time. SedonaNewAgeStore.com slash Melinda. Uh, you'll be able to find all the information you want about Melinda's tours and also her classes as well. And as I said this weekend, she'll be in Las Vegas for the Super Soldier Summit, which you can find out more at supersoldiersummit.com. Sounds like a frightening event. I, I would like to go to no, that. It's, no, it's Not very interesting. Me, People, please look at the website. It's very interesting, great uh, speakers. It's really, considering it's very small, maybe 100 people in attendance, it's an amazing conference. If people, if you're listening, you're anywhere in the Vegas or Vegas or surrounded area, please come. It's it's really you. I get you have a great time. Oh yeah, very interesting material. Sounds like a great time. Sounds like a very uh, fascinating place to check out. So yeah, so, someone in here says sounds like a bad place to pick a bar fight. I agree. So you don't want to you don't want to run into any trouble there at the Super Soldier Summit. But uh, well, you know, and if you're not that into the conference, go gamble. You know, we're Vegas, exactly. baby. <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. That's why we. Yeah, exactly. Why would you go out on the Vegas and mind control? How good is that? I mean, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melinda, I got to thank you once again for coming on the show. It's been way too long, and it won't be another eight years, I promise, before we get you back. All on. right. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Uh, you know your stuff's fascinating. It's it's uh, it's chilling in a lot of ways. But a lot of folks might might bail on this as it got more and more freaky. But you're still carrying the torch. So thank you so much for your uh, you know keeping up on this work. Well, I'm just following where the where the evidence goes. 
There you go. And thanks, of course, to uh, the live listeners as well. Uh, And on that note, let me just throw in the plugs, and we'll call it a night here. If you're listening to this on Blog Talk Radio, you can find out more about the show at banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. You can find out more about us on Facebook as well. Just punch in Banal of America. You just listened to a free program here, two hours with Melinda Leslie, and we've got a massive archive with uh, 200-plus episodes in there, and it's all free, folks. And how we do that is via donations from the listeners. So if you want to help us out, head on over to Banal of America and click the PayPal button or send us a donation to the P.O. Box. I cannot plug another episode right now. We're still in the planning stages on what's coming next, so just stay tuned to Banal of America and BOA on Facebook. And on that note, my friends, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Banal. Thanking you for listening and signing off.